is just booming. It rattles the house. It's like the most gorgeous, wonderful. It's emotional. The happy birthday song is emotional. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest has starred in a couple indie films such as Bigfoot Famous, Reopening. She's a member of the Groundlings and can be seen performing in their upcoming main stage show, Larry Groundlings, DDS. It's the delightful Sam DeSura. Hi! Hello, Hi, hello. Daniel. I just want to say, I wish that your listeners could see, and I know I already commented on it, but see your mustache, because I've never seen you with a mustache, mm-hmm. and it is so, you grow it in so thick, and it's so, it looks like it's fake, because it's so perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it does have a very high fakeness to it. I feel like if you're going to grow a mustache, here's my hot tip, grow the full beard first, and then shave the beard off. So you're not dealing with a weird growth phase. It's just already in. So oh, that's, that's a hot tip. And if yes. I was, if I could grow facial hair, I would grow a beautiful mustache. Switching gears very quickly. Uh, when it comes to performing and acting, was this something you always wanted to do even as a child? Or was this like later in life, you kind of put it together? I grew up in a family of like, not my immediate family, but my extended family. They were all performers on my dad's side, the DeSura family. They're all very musical. They're artists. They dance. They paint. They're just very artistic. And um, singing was a big, is a big part of our family history. We're, uh, my grandfather was an opera singer. He taught his children, his I mean, he had 12 kids, but he taught most of them how to sing. My dad is the youngest of 12 and he was too shy to sing. So I guess I kind of got that from my dad. Like my dad's kind of introverted in that way. He's very talented in his own way, but he's um, he never really showed it off. And I um, feel a little bit like I had a little bit of that. So while at family gatherings, people would sing and perform and I would pretend to be asleep because I can't even deal with like people watching me do something so in my mind as a kid I didn't really see myself performing or being out there because I was really shy Mm -hmm. and I did some theater in high school and then I went into filmmaking in college and then I didn't I kind of came out of college like knowing that I liked something but not knowing who I was Mm -hmm. and I took an improv class and then that kind of changed things for me and now I mean because it just wasn't something I always thought I would do I know it was something I was around a lot but I thought that was for extroverted people Mm. I was like oh well if I'm if I'm having a visceral reaction against performing in front of people well then I don't want to I that's not for me Mm -hmm. you know because I even still before I go on stage I get very nervous (laughs) I gag it's like a fight or flight like I want to vomit before I go on stage it's so horrifying did you ever think that you'd want to perform in front of people no I had horrible stage fright as a kid Oh um, my god! Yeah, I would. Uh, whenever there's like a an elementary school, anytime there's like a presentation you had to give in front of the class, I would cry every time. Like I couldn't do it. So you would get out in front of people and cry. Yeah, it was uh, not even backstage. You'd get on stage and start. Crying. I would start. I'd get a few words out, and then I'd cry because I feel like at the time when I was a kid, I was like a bit of a perfectionist, and I also had a speech impediment. So <gasps> it was like a lot of a lot of things. I want to cry. <laughs> I literally want to cry. You sound so cute. I'm sure I was 
sort of adorable but it was just like i i think it was just that it was sort of like i know what i like i prepared i know what i need to say or what to do and it was just like you know the nerves or whatever kids are just so on they just experience the world so honestly it's like oh i just get emotional when i hear about people as kids my favorite storytelling in film my favorite storytelling is of kid like kids who carry the weight of the world like that's my favorite type of movies are kids who have to grow up really fast or who are so they're just they have a narrow point of view of the world but for some reason the world wants them to experience the world all at once and it's so emotional like i went into filmmaking because i i mean a little film but also it's like i wanted to tell stories about like i i went to a small like private school and the benefits of that was that they kind of nourish you a little bit. They nourish like your talents. It wasn't an art school. It was like very much a football school. Like they placed a lot of emphasis on religion and football. And the arts program was just becoming a thing. Like it was really small. And I was like one of maybe 12 people who were like in this like, um, tv class i guess and so from there i learned how to edit shoot and i was like oh my god it feels so fulfilling making your own content and um and knowing how to do that so naturally for me the progression was to go into film and i did some plays in high school and when i applied to college san francisco state i went to san francisco state um sfsu <laughs> go gators just kidding we never ever said that and <laughs> they put me down as a theater major. And I was like, I didn't apply for theater, but it was life telling me, honey. But I was, I was like, no, get rid of that. I want to be in film, which they have a very strong film program. So I learned some of the best moments I had were in college, but I learned in college that I wanted to tell stories about, I'm more drawn to, I realized in college, I'm more drawn to stories about young people experiencing heaviness i guess mm-hmm. and beast of southern wild is a movie that changed my outlook mm-hmm. on film or welcome to the dollhouse don wiener that character who's just so angsty harold and maude harold who's just totally his he's a rich kid obviously but and not like i'm partial rich kids but he's just so alone and he's like put himself in this place where his parents don't consider him and stuff and so yeah that's what i'm drawn to that's why i like I like filmmaking, but I didn't realize that I would go into acting. It's strange that they put you down as a theater major, even though that's not what you said. Was that like a clerical error or just like they were yes. truly? Truly a clerical error. They put me down in theater. And I was like, and it took me months to get to get that off my record and put on film. I had a petition for them to change my major. And I was like, I never wanted to go into theater, guys. And the universe was like, all right, first sign, you failed. Like, you should have just gone with the flow, you stupid, you stupid, stupid yeah. girl. They're like, you're coming in. They're like, well, you're being fairly dramatic. You got some chops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you, are you sure you're not in, you don't want to be in theater? Because you're crying Cause in it, my office. Because a true knee? person who doesn't want to do theater would just stick with theater because they couldn't handle the confrontation of dealing with it. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. What was it about? Uh, do you think improv that kind of let you real like get out in a way out of your shell? I didn't know any. The first thing about improv, I didn't look up any other schools. What happened was, I started to feel really depressed. I had just gotten out of like a eight year relationship 
with someone who I was with my entire twenties and he was awesome. He was awesome. He taught, he actually, I learned a lot about film from him, but when I got out of that relationship, I felt like I was him in a way, like my identity became wrapped up in my partner. And so, and at that, in your early twenties, that's when you're supposed to be, you know, not supposed to be, but you're like, you're kind of influenced by things, art, people, conversations, like, and so I didn't really have my own thing going on. So I got into a depression, my friend Stacy up, I always bring her up because I'll always attribute this to her, which is that, and she's a Leo, all you Leo queens and kings out there know that you do this, which is amazing, is that they're like, when they are set their mind on something, they're like, okay, let's, let's do this. Where it's like, okay, you're depressed. What makes you happy? I said, comedy laughing. Duh. And she's like, well, what kind of comedy makes you happy? I said, well, I like watching Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph on SNL. Like they are the, some of the funniest people I've ever seen perform. And she's like, research, research, research. They went to a school called the Groundlings. Literally, this is what happened. She researched them. Where do they go? They went to a school called the Groundlings. Have you ever, have you ever heard of the Groundlings? No. Research, research, research. She's doing all this. Re- I did nothing for myself. She did all this research. She was like, oh, it looks like they're performing. It looks like the Groundlings have shows. We should go see one. Okay. When, when, well, when are you free? Sunday? Oh, they have a thing called the Sunday Company. Oh, okay. Let's go watch the Sunday Company. This is when I saw Jimmy Fallon perform, Daniel Robbins. Um, I think I saw Courtney Peruso. Cook, Tom Fonz, that whole crew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was incredible. It was like, I was totally blown away. I did not know that SNL was real life. Like that that people do this in like a place that is accessible to you. I was like, this is so crazy, but I feel so connected to what they're doing right now. Like this sounds fun. This looks fun. And I'll ever be appreciative to Stacy. She kept, she has the first, the first brochure of the first show that I ever went to. She has it. Yeah. And then the, the rest, of, I signed up for a class and the rest is history, I guess. But um, I felt very overwhelmed by by it all but it was I knew it was fun I knew I wanted it I joined an improv workshop a because I wanted to do what the Sunday company was doing but I didn't realize I had to go through a goddamn whole fucking thing of improv which scared was scary as hell to get to the sketch part where you get to wear wigs that's what I really wanted wanted to do was to disappear or like not you know, just like beat wear wigs and dress up. I did not want to go through improv. I did not want to do that at all. I did not want to do it. It's crazy. I like, I don't even know. Sometimes I'm like, wow, Sam, I can't believe that you did all this improv. I <laughs> thought it wasn't a deterrent for me, but I, but we need it. We need that training to be able to write those sketches and stuff. Yeah. Um, now over the years in this career, have you given yourself a definition of success? My definition of success has changed i mean as a kid you know your parents they tote certain they want you to study certain things so like success might look like a doctor you know who's very well off who owns a house and then you get married and then you have children and that is was success and also um that's how I looked at it, I guess. And I also, um, I'm sure that you did this too. Your teachers would make you write a letter to your future self, like you in 10 years. And so as a 10 year old, you'd be like, hi, future self. Uh, I'm sure you have a house. 
and I'm sure you are married to someone really good looking. And, uh, and you know, it's like, I hate that. I hate that we were made to define success so early because it's so, it warps your mind and like, and then you start feeling depressed at 20 or in mid twenties or late twenties. And you're like, why the fuck am I not where I thought I was going to be? Where, where a 10 year old thought you should be. Yes, exactly. And it's like, that's not fair. And I don't like that the, that this is what our parents, our family, our teachers kind of like try to manifest in you at a young age, like that this is our calling, but how I define success now is, am I happy with what I'm doing? And am I, do I feel independent? I guess like most like number one though, am I happy with what I'm doing? Which I am. I feel like I'm in the right, I'm on the right path. Do I feel totally independent? There's, I'm not experiencing a lot of the fruits of, of that right now, but I feel like I can go out there and do what I want to in this world. Like I can, I, things are obtainable. Yeah. My definition of success has just totally changed from a monetary, like educated sense to something that's like, am I happy with who I am? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Good job, Sam. So let's think 10 years from now. So Sam, 10 years in the future comes back to today. What advice do you think you'd give yourself? Maybe she'd say, um, Hey, you thought your mullet was cute. Now it, no, it's not. It's not as cute as you think it is. Okay, bitch. I'd be like, oh fuck, really? She'd be like, yeah. <laughs> okay, you're not getting a lot of gigs because people think that you look crazy. And also, I'm, I'm, um, I actually wore this. I'm wearing a blue jumpsuit. My mom put my name on it, Sam, and I had a fresh mullet at the time. I walked into a Starbucks to get my venti iced oat milk matcha latte. Mm -hmm. I walked in there to get it. And the barista said, Oh my God, the trash is actually in the back. And I said, Oh, because I guess I look like a trash, a garbage person, which is great because actually it was kind of cool. She thinks that, you know, it wasn't discriminatory. I didn't have to be Mm. a man to look like I took out the garbage, but I was like, okay. I said, I'll I'll let them know. (laughs) But yeah, maybe it would be something like that. Like maybe about my appearance. Oh, you know what? It would, it would be about my appearance. Be like, honey, you're beautiful now. Okay. You are, you're, cause I am so, we're so hard. We're our own worst critic. Like, I feel like I'm not like an attractive person, but I feel like she'd be like, you know what? You're cool and you're attractive. Okay. So don't worry. Don't even let it consume your mind that you're not like these superficial things. Don't be so concerned with how you look or how you present or anything like like if I could just eliminate that part of your mind that overthinks these things, like you would have, you have so much more space to focus on things that are actually worthwhile. Right. So take that out. I feel like next time, if you're ever at a Starbucks or a place where they say like the trash is out back, you should be like, actually the trash is in line right now and it's ordering a coffee. <laughs> oh, <my>, yeah. <laughs> <Just own> <laughs> I love that, Daniel where's your head at with the concept or the idea of becoming rich and famous? Where do you go with that? Rich and famous. God, it would be nice to obviously make money off what you like doing. Fame, truly not interested. It used to be a thing that, oh my God, like when, again, when you're young, you're like, oh, I want to be just like Kobe. Like, or like, you know, like you want to be 
fame. You want to be recognized by people, but I don't think that fame adds any real happiness. I think, I think it's, um, I think the ideal is to be able to live a life comfortably. I don't think that, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like Bill Gates status of rich or Bezos or any, like, I just, like we all, we just want to live comfortably doing what we like to do. Is that so hard to ask? Ask for it. So rich and famous. No, I mean, just come. I want to be comfortable. I think that's doable. Uh, Do you have points uh, where you feel like you've uh, hit milestones? Yeah. Milestones. Like I, uh, I didn't realize that taking an improv workshop, a class or, you know, was a milestone, but it was, and it, it was like started me on my path to a whole different sort of life while doing groundlings while being in the program my dad turned 60 at some point and as a shy kid who never wanted to sing in front of her family it was his we had a big birthday for him and all he wanted for me was for me to sing a song to him in front of the family and i was like okay and so um i did that was a milestone for me i sang in front of my whole family it was really scary and that was like oh wow is this because my groundlings training i become more comfortable in my skin and i'm like and I'm able to be able to sit like after that performance, sit back and be like, well, if no one liked that, then that's their problem. I did the best, you know, like, cause that's also, you learn that in improv, you didn't do a good job. So you, part of the, the learning that you're teaching while doing improv is that you leave it all on the stage and you sit down and the challenge is not to berate yourself for the next yeah. hour, you know, or like forever. <laughs> so I sang the song and I never, like, I didn't, come out of that being like sam you fucking you fucked up even though i'm sure i messed up i think my uncle who trained me in who in singing and also was playing the piano was like you know he was i wasn't doing really well i practiced i rehearsed for my dad i rehearsed that song for my i mean you know to be prepared to sing in front of my dad and um uh, my uncle steven at some point because i wasn't hitting the keys correctly or i wasn't like hitting the notes and he was like you know i just um just sing it however you want. And I was like, okay. And I did. <laughs> and it was all wrong. But um, oh well. But I felt that was a milestone for me. Obviously, uh becoming a groundling was a milestone. I feel like, but you don't know that it's a milestone. You don't really think about it. I I never was in the program thinking that that was attainable, you know. Like I just thought I just want to learn as much mm-hmm. as I can. And it should be noted for the listeners, Sam does have a beautiful singing voice. I've heard her sing before. It's it's very impressive. She's downplaying it, but it's... Oh, that is so nice, Daniel. Thank you for saying that. I do love to sing. I really do. I got to imagine it's got to be an extra thing, the fact that you have so many aunts and uncles. If your dad was one of 12 and your grandfather was an opera singer and they all are musically talented to a degree where it's not like, oh, I have a couple aunts and uncles who sing a little bit around the piano this is like how's your mom's side is like when all the families together are they just like uh here go the dessert they're gonna get up and sing and perform yeah my mom's side of the family um i think they've only my mom's side and my dad's side have only interacted a handful of times together it's not like we all hang out together but when like i remember them telling me stories at my parents wedding like they were like blown away by i mean you have never heard a happy birthday like how the desura sing you happy birthday like when it's someone's birthday and we get together it is it is like you're in a church it's like 
It is just booming. It rattles the house. It's like the most gorgeous, wonderful. It's emotional. The happy birthday song is emotional. Oh God. Do you have times when you feel like you've received some bad advice? We've been kind of conditioned to get to a certain place by a certain time to like, we're kind of being rushed through life to do everything at a certain time. I think I was told that I need to, you know, like, especially when I joined Sunday company and maybe you experienced this too, which is like, Oh, now you need to, you got to get a manager. You got to get an agent. You got to get this agent. You got to do your headshots. You got to get new headshots. You got to do this. You gotta it's like, guys. And like, you get pressure. You feel like totally, it's not like a good feeling like, Oh fuck. I have to get all this stuff done. Cause now I, I'm in this place where I, I we're kind of in an industry and we, in whatever industry you're in, you're kind of pressured to do things right away, get things done right away. And I don't think that's good advice. I don't think it's good advice to rush people into getting into doing stuff, getting representation. Get, I know it's all like good stuff. People are looking out for you, but I'm allowing other people's anxieties to be placed onto myself. I do better when I don't rush myself or force myself or put pressure on myself to do stuff. And that might be a bad thing because I may not achieve something that I want to until later on, but it's like, look at Robert Altman, our beloved Robert Altman. He didn't become a filmmaker until well into his forties, like, or fifties. And I'm not saying that that's, I, 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 you know, I'll make it at when I 50, but also I, yeah, I may, I, I figure it out when I figure it out and I don't, ever want to put pressure on anyone to do something right away or project my own insecurities onto someone. Like, I think the path that I'm on is the path that I'm on mm -hmm. and it will happen when it happens. And I'm going to try not to, you know, uh, be mean to myself about right. it. Now for you, Sam, what would be kind of the pinnacle or the dream job in this business? Dream job would be a series, a TV series where you're like, show you're like, writing it and you're also in it and you've casted all your friends it's like a wildly successful series like phoebe waller bridge and fleabag but i i also i've always had the dream let me make a horror series cast all of my funny friends in it and just kill them off and see how funny their deaths could be like they i just love horror so much and it can be so fun and it's like I would just love to write. I know that Amanda and I had been writing um, a zombie series and making it like this, like buddy comedy, like um, kind of like uh, Shaun of the Dead, but we're in a world where we're living with zombies. Like we're just adjusting to them. <laughs> that to me is like the pinnacle. Like it's like you're writing a series with a right, like your best friend, you cast all your friends. It's a huge success or not and then you still have the the best time making it okay i love it uh i love you just going to all your friends like hey can i kill you guys i just just want to see how you die yes oh my god i can't wait to give you that call to call you up and oh. be like hey daniel are you ready to die in um, this I, uh, series i've been waiting for that call for a long time <laughs> yeah. now are you a fan because i also love horror are you into like kind of zombie monster horror do you or do you prefer like the slasher yeah i i love slasher but i lean more towards horror like a sorry monster like a mm. horror because it's so it's so cr more creative to me to see like 
like Guillermo del Toro, I don't know what it is about Pacific Rim. And it's not a horror film, but like my favorite thing about Pacific Rim is kaijus. Yep. <laughs> or like, just like, obviously anyone's probably, they would say the same thing, but it's like, I just love how we can create things that are horrific. Like Pan's Labyrinth, again, not really. It is a horror elements, but like, I love monster horror. I love zombies. I love, um, I'm trying to think of a, oh, The Descent. Like, I love those little creatures and when they splunk that live in that cave. And I also love friends going through something. Their their relationships are tested, like Cabin in the Woods. All the relationships are tested. Every single horror creature imaginable enters that film. It's so fun to me. Yeah, I agree with you where it's like the slasher, you're kind of like, okay, that's fine. But when you get to the monster level, it's like, well, we can get creative on what the monster is. So you're like the imaginative. So the kaijus aren't just like, it's the variety in a way of like, oh my God, what can this one do? What does that one look like? How is that one scary to me? Yeah. yeah. Or even something like, like it follows where it's like, you don't really know who the monster is, which is also scary in itself. Like, but there is a monster. Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, speaking of the monster coming, it's time for the insult right. oh, comic, fuck. Rose comic, Raz Clifford All to right, come in. All right, here we go. All right, so he likes to come in and take the guests down a peg. All right, come in, Raz Clifford. Oh, he, here we are. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh. All right, Sam DeSura. Now we're talking. Oh. Okay. Everybody should know this. This performer is so goddamn awful. She's actually fun to watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? When something is so bad, it's entertaining. That's what we want to get to. Oh. Oh, Sam. And she told me this. Her name, her last name actually means shit, which is very funny. Pile of shit. Makes perfect. Oh, it's a pile of shit. That's right. It, there's a lot of it. In some regions of Mexico. Yes. So really, she's a star in Mexico because they see her for who she is. Just a big old pile of shit. And Sam, you remind Thanks. me of so many terrible people. You're in really great bad company. You know, just some of the most awful people. Your name will be at the top of that list. It'll be the Mount Rushmore of piles of shit. It would be your face next to actual piles of shit. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I've seen Sam perform a few times, and it's really been helpful for me, Sam. It's made me not fear death, because I now know what hell will be like. Ah! Sam, how old were you when you realized you were terrible? Oh, uh, today. Today? Okay, I thought it would have been when you were pretty young, but I guess it takes some time to self-actualize and realize these things about yourself. (laughs) It's okay, Sam. Trust me, take it from me, you're terrible. But on my notes, it says here, Sam, you are a tremendous talent. Wait a minute, that can't be right. Oh, sorry, no, it says you're going to need tremendous talons to be able to claw your way through this business. Oh! Oh, sorry. Speaking of slashers, I had to slice you up good there, Sam. You got razzed. If you oh. see me, if you ever see me on set, I will tell you exactly where the trash is so you can take it out. Or you can throw yourself into it. I don't really care. You're a pile of shit. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. You got Raz. Bye. Yeah, bye. God, what a great guy. He just really he gives is. it to you, honestly. Yeah, he's not. No no lies. Just the straight truth. I love that he just lives in that house with you. He just walks in whenever. No, he he has to stop. And he has a real nice several mansions. So he hates these interviews because he has to drive over. Of and course. he has to just kind of wait on my couch. Yeah, God. just to wait yeah. for this guy. He must have been so bored. Yeah, listening to us. Oh yeah, big time. 
He's bored around me all the time. Oh, <laughs> damn. Can't stand it. So obviously, you know, your college knew it before you knew it. You're acting, you're performing, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But if you weren't in this field of entertainment and acting, what area would you be interested in? Or what profession would you maybe pursue? Because I've taken up teaching at the Growlings, I've really come become partial to teaching. I really like it. I like seeing people do their thing and like, I don't know, I just, it's something really, um, I, there's a lot of teachers in my family too. And I don't know if we, I just have the gene for it, but I never thought I'd be a teacher. It sounds really scary, but after doing it, I really like it. I just really like teaching. So I think I would, if I didn't, if I wasn't in this business, I probably would be teaching kids. Mm-hmm. I would be teaching. Well, it sounds like from the beginning, you were talking about your love of kids, just uh, living life and being honest. So yeah. teaching them might be difficult. You might be like, oh no, her teacher keeps crying every time. And I'm like, oh, an answer right. I know every time someone like does a presentation, I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> I know I don't know I yeah I think it would be that I just yeah I'm partial to um I just really like teaching I just love it like now you teach uh you've taught the teen classes though yeah so are there moments with that where you've gotten choked up or you've you've had to I mean the feelings thankfully no I haven't got choked up but I I definitely get really like wow like very proud of that or like um really impressed some of them mm-hmm. these kids right now i feel old saying this are really impressive people like they're an impressive group this like young generation is very impressive they have a lot of knowledge about stuff they're um they have a lot of social knowledge the only thing is they've been on zoom and online for so long that when they're in person they forget how to use their body mm-hmm. um uh but yeah i just am really impressed by the information that comes out of their mouth like a lot of them are really fearless you know yeah totally unlike me like they're so (laughs) opposite of who i was so i get really like wow i'm easily impressed by kids who can put themselves out there um and yeah when you're teaching what is it about what's some elements about teaching that you really like resonate with or gravitate towards like what is it about i gravitate towards like watching people make um just figuring out how their brains work what i like is that i i had a mixture of like teachers who were very helpful i've like had on the opposite end of the spectrum teachers who were extremely helpful and teachers that were the least helpful in terms of like like credit like heavy criticism and not that criticism is not helpful because criticism is helpful but criticizing you in a way that is so unhealthy, like saying that essentially that you're bad or what you're doing is bad. And so, or just like not giving a damn about you, like so easily forgetting about you. And so what I have realized about myself or what I've realized in my teaching style, and this is going to sound really cheesy, is that I have, I like people to be able to have a teacher who, who is compassionate And I'm not like, and this is what I want for myself and for my relationships. I just want, and what I'm responding to is that when I'm compassionate for the people I'm teaching, I'm also compassionate to myself. Like I am able to practice being compassionate with others so that I know what that looks like when I do it to myself. And so that's about teaching. Like if someone's making a mistake and I know that you teach improv as well. And so there's not really mistakes and we don't, you know, but there's learning opportunities and 
I know when I was going through the program, I was the biggest, I like beat myself up. I would go, I would wear a turtleneck and I knew because most classes, listen, I had a tough teacher in my basic class and I would wear a turtleneck because I would do a scene. I'd get crazy criticisms. I go to the back of class, roll my turtleneck up and I'd cry into it. Oh no! So that it would catch my tears so that I could still see the scene, but I wouldn't have to wipe my face so that people would see that I'm crying because it's hard putting yourself out there and then being treated like that. And it's not saying that the criticism were good, but I just am sensitive. And when I see someone in class who's as sensitive as I was or who's getting mad at themselves that they did something wrong, it's not that I'm like, hey, no, no, you did a great job. I'm not saying that because maybe they did make some. We have to learn, too. But I have to extend compassion. Like, listen, we are doing this together, you guys. We're not. And I need to remind them that what they're doing is not wrong. Mm-hmm. That they're in the right place because they're unlearning this stuff that they've been taught like oh you're bad you're bad you're bad because i was that one too so i want to be kind to others you know not necessarily saying because i've been told million like you know when someone has a an off scene when someone's having an off night and they have a scene that's not going great it's like tanking and you're giving side coaching and it's not connecting i Obviously, it's not them finishing the senior like, okay, guys, really great job because they also need to hear what the note is, but being kind to them because they're not being kind to themselves in that moment. If you have been, my apologies, but inevitably when you're a guest on a late night talk show, yeah. you have a story you would love to tell. Um, that's so weird that you didn't catch my um, interview on, I was going to say Jay Leno. On a- I did not catch your Jay Leno. <laughs> yeah, I must have weird. missed- you must have the Jay it. Leno one. Huh. Okay. Well, I guess I'll repeat it. Um, yeah. Um, for everyone else who missed it. Yeah. I would probably share the story about how I totaled my dad's 1967 Mercedes Benz. I know. Okay. Everyone gives the same reaction. Everyone grabs their face and they're like, wow. I don't even know much about cars, but I know everything you said sounds important. So yeah. I was just like, mm, okay. My dad was given a our neighbor passed when i was a kid and he was german and he brought over from germany this beautiful like when he moved here he brought his car with him which was a 1967 cream colored brown interior like mercedes 1967 mercedes this big beautiful car i learned to drive on it that was and the problem was was that um uh it was just given to him when he died his wife said, listen, Rex, my dad's name's Rex. He said, she said, if you can fix this car, because we haven't driven it, it just doesn't turn on. If you can fix the car, you can have it. So my dad's very handy. He's worked with cars. He fixed it. He spent so long trying to fix it. He It fixed. He It turned on. He got to keep it. We had it for maybe a few years. I learned to drive on it. I had my permit and I felt really cool driving it. So what I did was I, and you always have to have someone in the car with you, but I was like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. I took the car out to Pete's coffee and tea and I drove by my high school after school to like, be like, Hey guys, like in this car, such an asshole. I'm like, Hey guys, what's up guys? Hey Kyle. Hey, Hey Lisa. Went to Pete's coffee and tea. I'm going to go get a coffee. Bye guys. Went to go Pete's coffee and tea. I got a, um, like a chai. Well, I don't know a chai. And then I guess I was one of those kids who looked older than I was because I was hit i mean it's not a good thing but i was hit on quite a bit by older men and maybe they're just creepy guys but i don't know what it was maybe i looked older than i was or maybe they were just literally creepy men 
but I, this man came up to me at Pete's Coffee. He's like, can I buy you a, can I buy you a drink? And I said, um, I already got a drink actually. He's like, but have you ever had a Jasmine tea? And I said, no. He's like, let me buy you one. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, what's your name? And I was like, I got thanks for my tea. So I had two drinks. I got like a chai, a hot chai and a Jasmine tea. I went back into the Mercedes. There's no cup holders in the car. So I put them between my legs. I was wearing shorts. We know where this story is going. So then I'm going home, going up the hill. There's a little speed bump. I hit it. We all know what's happened. Hot water all over my gorgeous gams. I'm like in pain. I look down. I hit the accelerator instead of the brake. I go straight through a stop sign. And I'm, before you know it, I've hit a light post and I'm on someone's lawn. And the bat, the entire axle of the car is on the street because you hit, I hit a curb. Like I went up onto a curb, ripped the axle out, ran into a light post. And now I'm on someone's lawn and the seatbelts do not extend. They're just bolted to the metal frame. So I'm like, like choked myself out. And then my knee was like cut. I am so shocked. I get out of the car and because I'm dramatic as fuck, which is why they put me as a theater major in college, I go out and I'm on my knees and I'm like, literally like, (laughs) I go out to the middle of the street and I go onto my knees crying and people are literally driving around me. I'm like a (laughs) child crying on my knees. You can see the car that I driven is on someone's lawn. The axles on the street, you fucks. I'm crying people are like oh my god passing me one lady in a prius with the kid in the back is like do you need a ride and i was like yeah so i leave the scene i go home i tell my mom my mom is so pissed she's like you left this you left the car you left the car and i said yeah she's like well get in my car because we're going back to the scene i was like no she's like you have to so we go back to the scene people at this point have gathered around the car they're like oh where did this car come from? It's so weird. And the police were there. I'm staying in my mom's car because I'm so humiliated. My mom's like, come here. The police wants to talk to you. I go talk to the police. And maybe it's because I'm a white girl. But he was like, you know, um, I'm going to let you off with a warning. And my mom was like, are you sure? <laughs> she was like, no, no. She did something very bad. She's like, um, are you sure? He's like, when I was your age, I I took my dad's car out and I totaled it too. So I'm going to let you off with a warning. And I was cry- I was sobbing. I was like, ah, like so embarrassed. And then the worst part of that was that I had to go home and tell my dad what I did. And he oh. was so, he was like, he, I think it took him everything in his power to not ask about the car first. But he was like, um, he's like, oh, how are you? Are you okay? I said, I'm fine. He's like, and else the car. I said, yeah. It's total. It's total Rex. My mom was happy to get rid of it because my dad collects cars. Oh, okay. he, it looks like they live in a junkyard. It's like Ooh. cars everywhere. My dad's parked cars on the grass. We have motorcycles in the back. There's no, we look like we live in a, an auto shop. So it was just one less car. My mom was excited about it, but my dad was really sad because it was the nicest car we had. Wow. That's a lot of, a lot of moving parts happen all at once where like, yeah. and your mom's like, throw her in jail. <laughs> Put her in jail now. 
Restaurant. Get her in there. <laughs> Just make her spend a day. Uh, well, Sam, what do you have coming down the pipeline for the listeners to be on the lookout for? Well, I think you mentioned in the beginning, um, we tomorrow, oh, tonight actually is the world premiere of Bigfoot Famous. I have a little part in there with Chris Guerra um, where we play a couple and we have like a little musical number we do. And then reopening which chris gara also main company member he directed there's a lot of growlings in that one too and that's going to have a big premiere in burbank in um in september so yeah so those are coming out and then i just shot a couple spots which you might be seeing me on that's awesome well sam thanks for hopping on and chatting with me daniel for having me of course and thanks listeners for listening I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous.